0: One of my favorite preachers that I like to listen to on CD, his name is Dr. R.C. Sproul. And uh, one of his CDs I was listening to, he told the story about a lady who had just lost her husband to cancer. And uh, her husband had battled cancer for many years and they had went through a great struggle. So just a few days after losing her husband, Dr. R.C. Sproul, who's a pastor of a church down in uh, Florida... He runs into this lady at the church in the hallway, and he meets her in the hallway, and he says, we've been praying for you. How are you doing? And the lady smiles, and she responds, simul eustus et peccator. Now that would, that's just odd, right? Simul eustus et peccator, which is a Latin phrase for simultaneously righteous and sinner simultaneously righteous and sinner. That God has credited righteousness to us because of Calvary, and we can rest in that. And the point of the story was that this lady had an amazing attitude in the midst of her trial. Just lost her husband, battled cancer for a long time, and you know what she says? I'm simultaneously righteous and sinner. Simul justus et peccator. But here's the deal. As we look into Scripture today, what I think Scripture will demonstrate is that you can't be both. You cannot simultaneously be righteous and sinner. No more than a king can be simultaneously a king and a slave. Those two things are impossible to have at the same time what I want you to do is open the word of God to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, if you would. Here's what the scripture says, starting in verse one. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedient, among whom also... Once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up together and made us sit together into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me read this one more time. That verse 3. Whom also we once conducted ourselves... In the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's what we once were, but we no longer are that through Jesus Christ. We once were sinners. We once were lustful. We once were children of wrath, but through Jesus Christ, he has made us alive. He has quickened us from the dead, And brought us into Christ Jesus. And as the scripture says, he has has spiritually set us in the heavenly places with Christ. Now that takes a lot, Brother Don, for my mind to grab a hold of. That God has set us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The first thing I want to demonstrate from the scripture today is that the old nature is no longer present in the Christian. The The old nature is no longer present. Present, It says, you previously were dead in transgressions in which you used to live. See, that used to be true. What we have to do is we need to stop defining ourselves by what we used to do. Amen? We need to stop defining ourselves by the things we used to struggle with or the things our mom and dad struggled with or the things that before we were Christians struggled with. We've got to stop defining ourselves that way. One of my favorite songs for many years in the church was this song, I'm Just a Sinner Saved by Grace. How many of you are familiar with that song? Brother Rick List sings that song all the time, I'm Just a Sinner Saved by Grace. And that song points us to the grace of God in our salvation, that we don't deserve it, that we didn't deserve it, but his grace saved us anyway. But unfortunately, here's what the song does it leaves us with the impression that we're still sinners. If I'm just a sinner saved by grace, then in my mind I think, Brother Carl, that I'm still just a sinner. But that's not the complete story of salvation. I was a sinner saved by grace, but now I'm a righteous saint of the most holy God. You can't be sinful and righteous at the same time. You cannot define yourself by those characteristics. You see, in no other area of life do we define ourselves based on our previous nature. I've heard Christians say the only difference between a Christian and non Christian is that we're forgiven. Now that's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. But if that's the only difference, man, salvation's kind of a short story. I'm forgiven, let's proceed. No, here's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus and blessed with every spiritual blessing. My friend, there's much more than forgiveness that goes along with salvation. There is much more than simply get out of hell free card that goes along with salvation. Jesus doesn't wipe you off and then let you go your way. He sets you up on a pedestal to preach the gospel as a saint of God. We're more than just forgiven, my friend. You see, once I married Tyler, I didn't go around saying, well, I'm a single man married to a woman. (laughs) See, I was a single man, and then I married my wife, and I didn't tell anybody, well, I'm a single man married to a woman. No. No. I used to be a single man that did things that the single man did like microwaving mac and cheese. That's what I did. I was a college student and I wouldn't get home. I was uh, uh, taking 21 hours as a college student working in the Air National Guard, serving as a youth pastor. I would leave the house at seven o'clock in the morning, drive to college, wouldn't get, uh, wouldn't get home till 10 p.m. And by the time I got home at 10 p.m., normally it was with mac and cheese or ramen noodles mixed with beef jerky. It's pretty good, Maybe some bacon. I used to make mac and cheese. But those things don't characterize me now that I'm married. Praise the Lord. She cooks me good meals. Give God praise for that. You see, before, when I was a single man, I didn't do my laundry. Well, the thing is, I still don't do my laundry. But at least now I have clean clothes because my wife does my laundry. A bunch of these men are like, my wife does my laundry too. See, I'm not the same as I used to be. I'm not the single person I used to be. Praise God, I hope if you're married to your spouse that you don't think you're like you used to be. You're different now. We've got to stop defining ourselves by our past. So here's the key. If our sin nature is no longer present, why do we still sin? If our sin nature is no longer present, why do the Christians still sin? Here's the answer. The answer is because we don't understand who we truly are. We don't understand what we've been made to be. You've probably been told before that because we are not yet in our glorified bodies, because we are still in the flesh, we are still going to struggle with sin. You've probably heard a preacher say that. But my friend, I used to think the same thing as well. And some people would ask me accountability questions. You know, how are you doing with your struggles? And I would say, well, I've still been struggling with this sin. Or I've still been struggling with that sin. But you know what a struggle implies? A struggle implies that something has power over you. When Brother George steps in a wrestling ring and he's got another wrestler wrapped up in a headlock getting ready for a full Nelson, there's a, a power exchange going on. And there's a struggle because there's something else that has power. So if you believe there's a struggle with sin, it's because you think the sin has power. Let me tell you something, folks. You don't have to struggle with something that has no power over you. And as long as we think I'm still in the uh, old nature, I'm still in the sin, in the flesh, then you'll struggle. You see, whenever I carry 100 pounds of chicken feed to the backyard, these bags are falling all over and they're hard to keep balanced. That's a struggle because something's trying to hold me down. It's a burden. I'm, it's a struggle to get those. But have you ever seen somebody struggle to lift a feather? No, because there's no weight attached to it. You know what? If there's a feather on your shoulder representing that sin, you know what? I just take it up, move it off because there's no struggle there. I'm righteous in Christ. I've been given the power of the Holy Spirit as my my aid and my guide. I don't have to struggle. You see, once you realize that you are now dead to sin, it does not reign in you. Then now you can declare victory in Christ over that sin in your life. I will use this good illustration. Maybe you had struggled with an addiction to food and your spouse has made a devil's food cake sitting there on the countertop. So you know that there's a devil's food cake in the kitchen and you're trying to go to bed but all in the back of your mind you know there's a devil's food cake and you'd like to dribble some raspberry and caramel syrup on that thing and just go to town. So you're laying there in temptation as you're trying to sleep. You're trying to go to sleep and you hear that devil's food cake calling your name. Jesse. Jesse, Jesse, you can't take it any longer. You got to get up out of bed because that devil's food cake's on your mind. And then you go in the kitchen and you have a stare-down contest with the devil's food cake. And you know you're not going to need to eat it at 1030 at night because at that time it's going to go straight from your lips to your hips. Nope, you don't have no power over me. Nope. And the whole time it's tempting you. See, this is representing temptation in your life. This is representing The devil, if you think the devil has power over you. So you sit there battling back and forth and you argue for 10 minutes with the devil. But this is a funny illustration because it's the same thing that happens with any type of sin, whether it be pornography, alcohol, premarital sex, or drugs. That temptation you think has power over you. And as long as you think the devil's food cake has power over you, you are going to be in a struggle. As long as you think whatever sin you're dealing with has power over you, you're going to be in a continual struggle. But once you realize who you are in Christ, then you can look at that devil's food cake in the kitchen and you can say, Get thee behind me, Satan. You turn and walk out and grab a V8. See, once you realize who you are in Christ, then you can declare victory. You know who said this statement, Get thee behind me, Satan? Jesus. When someone was bringing negative remarks towards him and his response, he even looked at one of his disciples and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Next time your coworker at work starts making you angry, you turn, Get thee behind me, Satan. You'll probably get a memo about that, but it might work. <laughs> You see, the old nature is gone. Secondly, I want you to know, based on the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, that the new identity reigns supreme. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So there was an old nature, death, but now there's a new identity, which is life in Christ. I want you to know that today, your, your victory in life has to do with your understanding of nature and identity. Now I'm going to use an illustration here. I've got two baseballs. What are the characteristics of a baseball? Tell me some. Round? Threads? What kind of things do you do with a baseball? Throw it? Hit it? Catch it? That's the nature of a baseball. But what separates this baseball from this baseball is that this baseball has a signature on that. You see that there? That's the signature of Hank Aaron. One of the most prolific home run kings in baseball history. My uncle gave this to me when I was seven years old. I have it in a case on my bookshelf in my office at home, right beside a baseball card of his, detailing him breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Now here's what I want you to know. These baseballs have the same nature. But what makes this one valuable, it's not his nature, but its identity it has been given value because someone valuable inscribed their name across the face of it and it's not the nature which determines how important this in it's now the identity because it has value through what it's been given and here's the problem when we look in the mirror what we happen to do is we turn it around and we look at the nature We're looking at ourself and we're looking at the nature. But you need to flip the mirror and start meditating on your identity because Christ Jesus in his blood has written his righteousness right across your life and your heart. He has written his autograph of righteousness across your life. So now let me be honest with you. It has nothing to do with what nature is there. It has everything to do with who you are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you what, that's some good preaching right there. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. That's who you used to be. You used to be a sinner. Now you're a saint sanctified in glory. What we believe about ourselves dominates our actions. Even secular philosophers understood that our actions proceed from our being. Our actions proceed from who we think we are. Socrates said this. He said, to be is to do. John Paul Sartre, he said this. To do is to be. Frank Sinatra said this, do-be, do-be-doo. That last one has no philosophical value. But Socrates and jean Paul Sartre were trying to tell us what you think about yourself determines how you live. Even the secular ones, not in religious history, understand that what you think about yourself determines your actions. If your identity is tied to your sinfulness, you will live in sin. But if your identity is tied to your righteousness through Christ, you will live righteous. I told Tyler what I was preaching about this Sunday. I said it has to do with our nature and identity in Jesus Christ. That we reign through righteousness because we've been given righteousness. She says, you preach that all the time. And I said, exactly. Maybe one day people will get it. This is the truth. This is the gospel of grace. This is what brings power to our life to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. And I'll preach it until I can't preach anymore that we are imputed righteousness and we don't live according to the old flesh. We're no longer a sinner saved by grace, we have the identity of royalty. And we need to proclaim that over our life. When you wake up in the morning, you need to look in the mirror and say, I'm righteous through Jesus Christ today. Because God doesn't see your actions. God doesn't look at the leather of the baseball. He doesn't look at the stitching of the baseball. He looks at the autograph of his son. And that means you are valuable in the eyes of God. And lastly, God sees you as fully perfected. This is probably the the biggest point that I had to struggle with and understand with. Because here's what the scripture says in verse 6. It says, and God has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has made us sit together together. In the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He's talking about a present reality. He's not talking about a future reality, saying that you're going to go to heaven. He's saying, spiritually, in the eyes of God, you're already seated with Christ Jesus. And I had to really let that sink into my, to my being God sees the future as a present reality. When Abraham was 90 years old, we've been talking about Abraham on Wednesday night. When he was 90 years old, he was childless and weak in the flesh. But you know what God said to him? God said, you'll be the father of many nations. God looked at a weak, frail, old man that had never had a child and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. He declared a future reality as a present circumstance. You know why? Because in God's spectrum of time, he can see everything. He already seen Isaac being born. He already seen the nations of Israel coming from Abraham. So he declared that as a present reality because in God's eyes, there is no difference. And this is what God declares to you. God sees you already in the heavenly realm with Christ. And somehow in an eternal spiritual dimension, we are already there. You see, Ephesians 2.6 destroys our Christian mentality that we're trying to earn something or that we're trying to earn jewels in a crown. Have you ever heard people say that we're trying to earn a crown in heaven or we're working to get more jewels in the crown? We even say things like, like if you are married to a difficult person, they'll say, man, he's earning an extra jewel in his crown for that one. You know, we say things like that. But people think... Our reward in heaven is based on our actions. This is not true. The crown of righteousness that the Bible speaks about is a crown that's bestowed upon us because we are already declared as a king to reign with Jesus Christ through the cross. When a son is born to a royal family, he is automatically a prince regardless of his actions. And God already sees you as a prince in the kingdom, as a son of the most high God. Therefore, a crown that is bestowed upon you has nothing to do with whether you earned it or not through your actions. It has to do with Christ earning it for you. I'm not trying to earn a crown. Praise God, the crown has already earned me. And secondly, I'm not uh, living my life waiting to get to heaven because heaven already lives inside me. So many people spend their life, I can't wait to get to glory. Glory's already here. Stop living in the future and understand that God wants you to be content right now. You have everything. Listen, if you can't sit in church and be happy in Jesus Christ, you have not understood salvation. This is a picture of heaven. If a lost person walks in right now, what would they know about Jesus? When they observed our worship, what would they know about Jesus? We should give them a glimpse of everything heaven is about. Fellowship, unconditional love, praising the lamb who is worthy, and just preaching the word of God because it nourishes our soul. Let's be about those things. Knowing that you are royalty destroys the persuasion of the prosperity gospel. Are you familiar with the prosperity gospel? If you watch a lot of them preachers on TV, they're, they're prosperity preachers. The prosperity gospel said God wants to make you rich. But the gospel of grace says you're already rich. You see this? The prosperity preachers on TV say that if you send them $1,000, God will make you rich. You heard him say that? But the gospel of grace says you are already rich. So we don't give with the mentality to get more. We give with the mentality that our supply will never run out. Because I'm already rich in Jesus Christ. I don't need to give God something so he'll give back. I give because I already am an inheritor of the entire kingdom. That's why I give. Because I have an unlimited supply through Jesus Christ. People have been asking me all week, what are my thoughts about the preacher in Charlotte building a mansion. My response is that Jesus is already building me one. I'm not worried about any earthly mansions because I know I'm already having one prepared for me, not because I'm doing something or or earning it, but because that's how much Jesus loves me, is He's building an eternal dwelling place for us in heaven. I'm already rich, praise God. Prosperity gospel places our eyes on earthly wealth, but the gospel of grace places our eyes on spiritual wealth. Let me tell you, my friend, if the stock market crashes tomorrow, and it very likely could, go ahead and stock up on spam and water. the stock market crashes tomorrow, the prosperity gospel will be wrong for a lot of people. Think about that. If everything, our economy crashes tomorrow, which it most likely will, not tomorrow, but it's coming. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. In order for a one-world currency to happen like the Bible cop talks about, there will be an economic crash. And when that happens, all the prosperity gospel listeners are going to say, "What happened? Because I gave God tens of thousands of my dollars, and now I've lost everything. My friend, let me tell you something. We don't give to get back. We give because we are already rich in Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace says that even if your 401k is diminished, you have a crown of life that will never fade. Let me remind you for one moment that the old nature is gone. You are no longer dominated by the sinful desires of the flesh, and you need to start speaking that victory over your life. I'm no longer dominated by the flesh. Secondly, your new identity is not based on your characteristics of the old nature, but it's based on the identity that has been given to you because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He's autographed right across your life and your heart. And thirdly, God already sees you as seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I think this is true that our Sunday school lesson today is about Jesus being the one who reigns. The one who reigns supreme? Well, let me tell you, it's not just Jesus who reigns because he invites us to share with him on the throne. And now we are his righteous rulers and stewards on earth. You don't know what kind of steward you're supposed to be until you understand your righteousness in Christ already. So I need somebody to help me today. I want you to say something with me. I'm no longer a sinner. You see, but we really have to, I mean, we got to put some oomph behind it because I want you to believe it. I'm no, longer a sinner. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm starting to believe you a little bit. See, if I was a lost person, i said I don't believe these people. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm no longer a sinner. Do you believe it? Yes. Say this I am a righteous saint. I am a righteous saint. I am a righteous saint. My friend, you've just prophesied powerful words against the devil. And he cannot stand the knowledge that you have right now. Because the greatest thing the devil will attack is your identity. He'll try to make you feel like a failure. He'll try to make you look at the wrong side of the baseball. But when you can turn the baseball around, and you saw him Jesus Christ has written his name. He has to flee. Don't be dominated by your past. Be dominated by your present through Christ. You are a righteous saint. I want to invite you to do this this morning. If you've never entered into an eternal relationship with Christ. It's not an an invitation just to be forgiven. It's an invitation to reign supreme with Christ Jesus.